Welcome to the Behind the Racket Pod, the podcast taking you behind the racket with today's top tennis players and biggest issues facing the sport. Behind the Racket is a community to give fans and players in the world of tennis the opportunity to open up like they have never done before. Visit BehindTheRacket.com for the latest stories, merch, as well as direct links to all of the latest podcasts. It can also be found on iTunes, Google Play, Pandora, Stitcher, and wherever you find your podcasts. Download the episodes and make sure to leave a review. And we want you to be a part of the conversation. Find me at NoahRubin33 or Mike at MikeCTennis on all forms of social media. You can also learn more at BehindTheRacket.com or MikeCTennis.com. Special thanks to my sponsor, New Balance. Visit their latest shoes and styles at NewBalance.com and learn more about their program of giving back at hashtag NBGivesBack. You can also help support the podcast by visiting Patreon.com slash BehindTheRacketPod and receive rewards from our travels around the world. And now... So here we are, uh, lobby uh, of the the hotel here at the Rome Tennis Center. I'm joined by Andrew Harris, uh, who in uh, 14 hours, you're going to be playing in a doubles final. Um, yep. So thank you for the time. I appreciate that very much. Um, we've got, as we're sitting here, there are just a bunch of kids who are showing up for a junior tournament, um, some sort of southeastern U.S. type of a USTA thing. And I, um, I wonder what kind of memories it brings back to you of your time, 14-ish years of age and um, starting to play some of those bigger events as you were growing in your career. Wow, that seems like such a long time ago now. <laughs> um, yeah, 14. Um, that was back, yeah, when you're playing the just the Australian points tournaments around mm. Australia. Um, obviously, you had some of the big events like the Nationals. Um, I think there was one in Perth, Melbourne. Played it all over, but yeah, I just remember back when I was a kid, it's just like, you know, it's only 14s, but at the time you just think it's the biggest deal ever, you know? Yeah. And like, I think that's what I've learned, you know, in retrospect, as I've got older, it's like, it 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 does not mean at all what you think it does yeah. after the fact. So it's just like, you don't want to get too caught up in the, you know, your rankings and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's easy to get, easy to think that it's like super important when you're that age, but it's it's definitely not. What got you to that point at 14 that, that allowed you to be at that level? Um, and, and what were you like as a child? Was that normal childhood or were you kind of focused pretty heavily on tennis and things kind of got kind of weird that way? No, no, no. I've had a pretty normal childhood. Um, no, my parents, my family's great. Um, so my mum played on tour. Mm. Um, she got to 23 in the world in singles um, and my dad coached her um, and went to college in America. So he played at a collegiate level. Um, so we actually had a tennis court in my backyard. And so my Not dad bad. coached me all, just at home yeah. after work all up until I was 14. Um, yeah, so stayed in school, just trained at night. Um, and my dad coached me, yeah, until 14 and before I went to the Tennis Australia in, in the federation there. Do you think it was, looking back, and this is always such a tough question as you're still a young man here, uh, do you think you had a good balanced childhood um, I, you know, I, I, like we've got Ben Shelton here, right. And I can tell he didn't play tennis until very late. And so as a result, he kind of got to experience all of life. Do you feel like that was the same for you? Yeah, definitely. No, I'm very lucky. Uh, my parents were always stressed, you know, having, you know, going to school, getting a proper education, not leaving school early. Um, 
And then, yeah, I was even lucky that they overtake me overseas for some uh, – while I was in primary school, mm. two about six, seven-week trips in Europe just travelling the world. And I just think it really helped, you know, get a different perspective at yeah. such a young age. Um, but, yeah, like obviously tennis was, you know, a big passion of mine, but I still had a very good balance with friends, with school, with just – a normal life too. Yeah, and what's that like going home now? I mean, are those some of those friends from that that age range who are not tennis related? Are they still involved at all? Yeah, so I still have a good group of friends from high school. Yeah, um, yeah, that I still keep in contact. Obviously, it's pretty hard to keep you know in regular contact as much as you'd like, but I have yeah a bunch of close friends that when I go home, I still catch up with them, and it's like you know it's like <laughs> I saw them a few weeks ago. So yeah. I think that's great. I think it's good that I've you know continued to make an effort to. Still have those friends because, you know, on the tennis tour, like obviously I love hanging out with some of the tennis people, but sometimes it's also nice just to get some normality and just, you know, with your normal friends outside of tennis. I yeah, not talk about tennis for a while. Absolutely. There's yeah. something to be said for that. However, the only one thing about that is just sometimes the questions you get from them are just like, oh, <laughs> when they don't understand tennis, and it's right. just like, right. I, don't, I, don't, I don't even want to talk about tennis right now. <laughs> okay. Don't ask me silly no, questions. So what's, you know? what's the worst <clears throat> one you've gotten from like a good friend? Oh. The one I get from mine, and like again, I'm not a player. I'm like, so how is Serena? Like, I get that all the time. <laughs> Adam, I, I mean, know. my closest friends, I think, actually, like reasonably, like I bet they follow you. Sort of, yeah, sort of no, sort of you know, they're not. But some of the other in just the friendship group that I don't often see and talk to as much. Yeah. Um, sometimes oh, I can't think of one question, but they're just, just like silly questions, just some silly questions about how it all works, and you know, just. Yeah, I can't really think off the top of my head, but yeah. just like question you just don't really feel like answering. So obviously from 14 and then to, to 18 when you're making that big push as, as a junior, um, the development you mentioned obviously being coached by, by your dad. How did he accept outside coaching, if you will, for you? How did that work so that maybe you, you still had his involvement but also just different sets of eyes? Um, yeah, he was, no, he was great. I mean, went to the... Yeah, Tennis Australia and the National Academy, and it was good. Yeah, I had different coaches. He was all, all for it. Um, and, yeah, I, got, I had a really good time in the system. And, yeah, I was in it for, what, 14 to 18 before I went to college. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a good four years. Uh, I worked with um, a guy called Simon Ray. I'm sure if you I know do. Him. But, um, yeah, yeah we, had, we had a great, great four years together um, before I went to college. And, yeah, my dad was really supportive and didn't try and, you know, get involved like be too overbearing and nothing like that yeah he was really good and i think it was just a good balance like i the national academy was only you know half an hour away from my house 40 minutes so it was reasonably close and yeah he'd sometimes come watch me practice um when he had time and so he still he still was very involved in terms of you know watching and seeing me develop yeah it wasn't like overbearing at all in terms yeah. of trying to coach me and tell me what to do at all so the first time i remember hearing your name obviously you have was it two two finals two junior slam finals two titles two, ti two, two titles and the three dubs. finals no just the okay nah, just, just the, just the yeah so hearing that right and then all of a sudden you're this is a guy who's going to oklahoma <laughs> and i i found myself saying well that that's a bold choice um that recruitment process um it, it not too many players with multiple junior Grand Slam titles go the college route. Why and why Oklahoma? Um, well, that's, that's an easy question, kind of. Well, I mean, <laughs> like you say, so I was, got to six in the world in juniors. Yep. So 
my thought process was never going to college. You know, I was getting supported by Tennis Australia. Yeah. They looked at the top, back at that time, they sort of looked down on the college system as if it was like the wrong career move. Okay. Um, but it was ultimately just all my injuries. Um, I'd missed when I was 16, a year and a half with a stress fracture on my back. Mm. And then right after actually Wimbledon, the very next week in my last year of juniors, after winning the doubles there, I went to a future and hurt my back again. And this time it was a bulging disc. And that put me, I couldn't get that right. It took me 11 months. Yeah. And then by then I was like, okay, now let's explore the college options. Yeah. Ultimately only looking for two years, just to go two years and then yeah. go pro after that. But um, yeah, I mean, I had a lot of offers sort of in my inboxes. I'll get bombarded with a lot of, <laughs> uh, don't mean to be cocky or anything, but like <laughs> a lot of, lot of different offers from all schools, but I, I never responded to a single one of them until... Yeah, until I got that second back injury after juniors. Yeah. And then I started responding to a few. And John had been writing every few months. Yes. A lot of them still um, being, yeah, sort of messaging me. But then sort of narrowed it down to five schools, um, just like from while I was at home. Yeah. And then could have taken five visits, but I didn't, didn't really want to do five. And I sort of narrowed it down to three schools. Okay. So I took visits with my dad, took visits to... University of Southern California, yeah, um, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. Tennessee is not and surprising by any the means. The other two that I was going to visit was going to be Virginia and Texas A&M. Yeah. Um, but then I ended up just narrowing it down to three. And, I mean, I, USC was my last visit. Mm. And, like, you know, when you're there, it's like, how can you not want to yeah. go to this place? Like, right. it's amazing. But then I took time after I got home, just two weeks to let it all digest. Yeah. I think John was the most, um, just his personality resonated with me most. His intensity, his just commitment to want to develop professional tennis players. That's yeah. what really stood out to me. He, he was adamant he wanted to develop professionals and, you know, he wanted to take me to futures and challenges in the fall, whereas the other schools were like, you know, we play college events. I'm like, I'd prefer to go play pro events. Yeah. And John was really big on that. And um, he just, there was no BS with John. Like he... What he said is what you got. And some of the other coaches, so I'm not going to name names sure. or anything, um, come across a bit more salesmen. Yeah. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And John did none of that. He just yeah. said, this is what you're going to get, you know, and I just respected that. And after the four years being there, he lived up to everything he said. Yeah. And yeah, I think I made, I don't regret going to Oklahoma at all. Yeah. For, for people who might not know John Roddick. Um, Sorry. Yeah. yeah no, I, I didn't realize. Yeah. That. No. <laughs> um, what what was the plan when he sat down with you and before you came in as a freshman? What was the plan of here's how we're going to get you to that next step? Um, well, he sort of obviously knew I had a lot of injuries for starters, so he he was never going to put like he knew that if I said I was injured, he respected that. I was obviously not trying to get out of any workouts or anything, um, so he was really respectful like that. But he just just wanted to develop. I mean, obviously he'd coached Andy um, a lot and been around tour, sort of had a pretty good idea of what what it sort of took. Yeah. Um, but I think he just, yeah, he had a different approach with every player. But with me, it was just, you know, play my instinctive game and just, you know, what my strengths are, playing aggressive off the baseline, looking to come in and finish, finish at the net. And, uh, yeah, just play, play the right way and not sort of, I think some coaches you can get caught into just not, miss, not missing and they get into a defensive mindset. Whereas I was, you know, there was never any pressure for me to, you know, play a certain way. It was always just instinctive tennis and, you know, playing aggressive and playing the right way. And if you lose going down like that, you do, but I think it's the right way to go about it. I fully agree. And I think being around the college game as long as I have too, um, just seeing so many 
there's so much of an emphasis just on winning as opposed <clears throat> to actual development, which I think actually breeds winning. But sure. I think I think that gets lost in the shuffle because I think you and I both understand college coaches, they have somebody they report to as well. They mm -hmm. have to have that high winning percentage. And sometimes it's hard to say, well, I'm, I've got this guy who's a junior, who's a freshman, but in a junior year, he's going to be fantastic. You just got to mm -hmm. let me develop him. Yeah. That's a hard sell. Yeah, it is. Yeah, but I think... I think, yeah, if you just, you know, you play so many matches that if you, yeah, it might take, it takes some guys longer than others. Yes, it does. Um, everyone develops differently. And it's funny, for me, I found I played worse in college tennis than I do in the pros. Really? I found the different pressure. It was just different. Playing for your team, playing for the school. I just put a lot more pressure on my shoulders and mm. I wasn't able to play as free in college. Whereas some guys were the opposite. They played more free in college and were tighter in the pros. Yeah. But yeah, it's just everyone's different, but... Yeah, no, I love I love my time there. Um, I, f I find you to be, um, in our limited interactions, Andrew, um, a, a, a man of the world. Uh, you seem to have a, a very big perspective of life and the globe. Uh, tell me about your experience in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, I mean, when I visited, it was winter there. Uh, it was, I think, January. And so the team was actually playing mat dual matches mm. or kickoff weekend or something yeah and i'm just like got there and it's freezing there's no leaves on the trees and i'm like yeah. oh my goodness like this is right. this is grim you know like obviously i've come from australia where the winters are not not bad right um so it's freezing but yeah i mean norman oklahoma is a is a state is it is very, a state very different <laughs> very different to where i've come from uh different different culture different values different beliefs mm. um the opposite to where I've come from, yeah. Um, but just the because it was a country, uh, sorry, college town, the uh, in Norman, it was just sort of like your own in your own little world, such yeah. a little bubble, had everything you need, all your classes there, all your um, you know, tennis, football games, everything was in in your little town, so you sort of almost forgot the outside world a bit of where you were. It's just you just get your days are so full from morning to night with all the study, classes, training that yeah. you just the weeks just flew by and. Obviously, with all your teammates, it just you just had a blast. It sort of almost forgot where where you were. Without, I don't mean for this to come across <clears> as <throat> incredibly bad. I I live in Oklahoma as well um, now. Uh, moving there, it has been very hard for me to deal with essentially what is the gun culture. I have spoken to n numerous Australians, obviously, and it's it's kind of like, what the hell are you guys doing over here in the states? Obviously, I think most of the world is thinking that right now, but how. Did you experience any of uh, any of that type of mentality? What was it like interacting with kind of the fans, and how did you relate to them? Yeah, I mean, just through going to some of the lectures and classes and having other people, other students talk and just their views. Yeah, def definitely in favor of guns and you know pro life and um, just yeah, it was it was interesting because obviously very different. You know, mm -hmm. we're in Australia, obviously, we had one mass shooting and then we banned guns right. and it hasn't been That's one it. since. Yeah. Um, so, like, to me, common sense is just, like, right. I just don't really understand it. Um, but yeah, I remember actually going back to this one moment in class. It was because during my college, uh, during the years I was at college, it was when there was a lot of, was a lot of shootings of the mm -hmm. unarmed mm -hmm. black people yeah. during my time yeah. in there. There was quite a few in a row, actually. I remember being in one of my small lecture classes and it was, like, two black students in my class okay. and then the professor really nice guy but his brother was a cop 
And okay. so the topic came up yeah, after sure. one of these recent uh, unarmed shootings and he was sort of just defending, defending, defending the cops. Yeah. And I was just sitting there like I saw the other black students and they were looking at each other. They looked not happy. Sure. And I, I was just like biting my tongue, biting my tongue. I'm like, this is so wrong yeah. where this combo is going. Yeah. And then I just had to say something. I was yeah. like, you know, I'm from Australia where it's so different. Da, da, da. Like how many times, like how many times in the news do you see, you know, unarmed white man getting shot? Right. Like you just never do. And so I sort of really defended um, the other point of view, which, you know, everyone else is probably looking at me. But right. actually after the class, the, the two black students came up and, and thanked me. Like they were like, because obviously they were pretty upset. Yeah. And they thanked me for sort of standing up for them because it's just you like. you can get away with that. Whereas I can't, maybe yeah, they can't. Exa- exactly, yeah. exactly. And I was just like, I was just like shocked. It was yeah. just like, you know, you got all these unarmed people getting murdered um, when they're not, you know, and just, I just, yeah, just said how many times would that ever happen yes. to a white guy? You see these mass shootings with the white guys and they are in cuffs. They're not, yeah. don't have 50 bullets in them, you know? So it's, it's two different worlds. Yeah. Uh, it's. It's funny because I think, you know, I, I, I've lived in Champaign, Illinois for all my life and you kind of have this little college bubble where it's just kind of this interesting dynamic of all these different thought processes. It's always, it's always seemed to me, and I think it's the same in Norman, just kind of like you get outside of that and it's like, what the, what's going on? <laughs> what's going on well, here? I mean, but your college experience yeah, though the college experience was is great. amazing, I, I don't right? have a bad word to yeah. say about the University of Oklahoma. Like I absolutely love my time there. Yeah. I love going back there. Um, <clears throat> it's a great school. Yeah. The sports, the athletic department Amazing. is incredible. Like yeah. they, they, the way they perform in almost every sport each year is yeah. incredible. And uh, yeah, it's it's a great school. I, I loved it. These injury issues um, have have never really subsided for you. Um, how, how have you tried to contend with them over the last couple of years? Um, in in terms of getting a physio with you on a more regular basis. How, how have you tried to structure that, especially when, you know, the, the funding, obviously, if you're not top 50, 60 in the world, is not always there? Um, yeah, it's been tough. I mean, so I've only had one full year healthy on tour ever since I'm 16, mm. like only one, and that was in 2019. I've played from the start of the year to the end of the year and coincidentally had my right. best year. I got to 159, I think. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, and I was just like, I couldn't believe, during that year, I was like, wow, like, I couldn't believe how many opportunities there were to mm. add points. So I was like, you know, I had a, <laughs> a stretch of six really bad weeks. Yeah. But it didn't matter if you had a few good weeks. Right. And I was just like, it's the first time I'm like, oh my God, there's actually so many opportunities. Because in the past, every year I'd at least miss four months. So yeah. every time I played, I'm like, oh, I've got to get a result, got to get a result, because there's just limited opportunities. But then when I actually played a full year, I was like, oh, it takes your best, <laughs> I don't know, 16 events or whatever. Right, it's like, right. how, there's so many right. opportunities. You don't have to, 16 out of 35 to, is yeah, different than 16 out of peak 20. Every, every single week. So that was, yeah. So I, I finished that year feeling really confident. I was like sitting at 159, playing really good tennis. Body was body was pretty healthy, um, you know, and looking to build on the next year to chip away towards top 100. And just, I got a right at the end of the year before wildcard playoff. Um, injured my back um, again and... You, I just thought it was the usual spasm, just yeah. one week of rest, meds, physio, rehab, and back off you go again. And it just sort of just sort of never felt the same. Yeah. Um, and then, what was that bringing us to? 2020. So I went overseas, played a few events, still not feeling good. Then yeah. COVID hit. Right. And when, they, when there was talk of that 
suspension. It was like six week. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, yeah. Uh, everyone else is probably not long. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is perfect. Like, right, reset right. the body, get get it right, go home, get yes. it right, fix the body, and then finish the year. And then obviously the um, it took a lot longer the lockdown. Um, but <laughs> go ahead. There's a double specialist right here. <laughs> double we, specialist. We, we haven't gotten to that. Answer. Oh, okay. uh, <laughs> you me all week. I, I appreciate it. Uh, where was I? Uh, in 2020, yeah. Then the went longer. Went overseas, played Paris um, for the French Open when yeah. it was at a different time, and then just the next week flared up again and just mm. it wasn't right. And so I came home and uh, had another back procedure where they burned the disc, um, just try and shrink the bulging disc. Yeah. No success. And then, yeah, then what are we in 2021? Then I'm booked a flight, ready to go overseas right after Aussie Open. Yeah. And I'm on court. My back's feeling like crap. My hips are feeling horrendous. I'm yeah. Like, my flight's tomorrow. And I'm, it's when we had two-week quarantine. Yeah, right. So I was like, when you go, I'm going for the year. Right. And I'm like, I am not ready physically to go away for the year. Yeah. Um, had scans on my hips, and then literally a few weeks later, I'm getting double hip surgery. Mm. Um, and with the thought, pro one, they were bad. My hips they had a lot of bone to shave off. Yeah, partially torn labrums. Yeah. Um, well, I had to get that either way, I think, for my hips. But the thought process was doing that will help my back. Yeah. And so I'm like, well, I'm at this stage where I'll, I'll try anything. Sort sure. Of thing. Did it. Surgery was successful. Hip mobility was a lot better. Um, but still the back was just even just gradually building back up. It was yeah. not feeling good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I've tried a lot of different approaches like with my off-court training. I've, you know, had some gym program with very basic stuff. When in 2019, I was working with Damien Prasad from Tennis Australia and we did a, it was a pretty basic program, no he- not heavy, um, nothing crazy and I was, it was working. And then yeah. went, tried... Um, with a different trainer, a lot more heavy stuff, and my back didn't like that. Yeah. Then I went to no weights at all called uh, DNS. Actually, okay. Luke Saville put me on because okay. he's been doing it for a few years, and he put me onto the trainer, Mark. And I was doing that for a year. Um, it was going okay. It was going well for a while. Um, but then with post-hip surgery, just doing that with nothing was sort of – it just wasn't working. Yeah. Um, so I still keep up doing DNS, but I also do a bit of yeah. light, light strength work too yeah. just to sort of get a – blend of both and that helped a bit but yeah it's been it's been mentally a brutal process just for the last since i was 16 i've been dealing with back issues and yeah. um i mean i'm so diligent with all my rehab i do it every i've been doing it every day sure I, I do it all like over an hour a day of of body maintenance stuff yeah. um and it's just lately the last sort of couple of years it's really taken more of a toll just because i always had that thought process of it It'll get better. It's it's only a matter of time. It's going to yeah. be fine. It's going to be fine. And then now I'm 28 and it's still right. not fine. I'm like, yeah, I'm don't think it ever will be fine now. You know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it's finally hit me where it's like, whoa, like I don't actually think it will. I think it's gotten worse. Um, so yeah, that's been yeah taking a bit of a toll. But so that's that's really the the question, right? How do you keep the mental side so that you're able to focus on the possibility as opposed to focus on the negative that has happened? Um, yeah, so, I mean, a lot of people have suggested, my parents and other coaches have suggested with all my back issues last, uh, well, they suggest last year that, have you thought about just playing doubles? Yeah. And I was just like, no. <laughs> like, pretty pretty much. Yeah. Like, no. Yeah. Um, 
And then, I don't know, I just know coming from the Challenger Tour, working way up in doubles is a grind. Yeah. Like, there's, you got to win a lot. The way the point structure is, it, it, it's, a, it's a grind. And never really, I mean, I enjoy playing doubles, but never really appealed to me just going all doubles. I mean, I was always a singles player and that was the, you know, all or nothing. But right. then instead of getting to, a, got to a point, like I was said to myself at the start of this year, no, I'll play all this year singles and give it another one last crack at yeah. trying to stay healthy. Um, but as it's worked out, you know, I'm, I've been over here a few months and my back still, yeah. still being very ordinary um, and haven't been able to get any consistency in singles with, with the body. And so I've sort of, yeah, I've sort of tried to um, now each doubles week I play really take it seriously. Which yeah. In the past, it, it was hard to do both. Couldn't sure. really get up for both. Um, yeah. Whereas now I um, really want to get my doubles ranking up. And so that's why the last sort of five events or so I've, been, I've had better results because I'm applying myself a lot more in doubles. Yeah. And how do you max out so that you don't get burned out playing 20 or 30 challenger doubles weeks because that can take a lot yeah. out of you. I mean, I'm... Especially when you're not starting to like <laughs> Wednesday or Thursday yeah, and I'm you're not, sitting around. I'm not... I'm very new to this whole doubles experience. Yeah. Like this is sort of, you know, my first time really, you know, trying to have a proper crack at doubles. And, uh, yeah, it's sort of... It's good and bad. It's good. That's a lot, you know... You don't have a super early mornings like in the past <laughs> where you got to get up and practice singles in right. the early morning. You get you usually get the later time slots, yeah. um, but it's it's a definitely a different challenge. Now it's sort of you know I'd never have practiced dub specific stuff in the past, and now I'm finding myself getting out on court and working on a lot more bowling stuff and just more double specific stuff. And it's just I mean you got to do that if yeah. you want to succeed. But um, you you yeah. seem to have a good uh, person around you though who can tell you a little bit about the the dubs lifestyle, Andrew. Uh, and who do you refer to? Des. Oh, Des. Um, yeah, so yeah, she's, yeah, I mean, yeah, I've spent a lot of time with her. Yes. A lot of her tournaments too. Yeah. Um, and she's obviously had a great, great career in doubles. Um, yeah, I mean, I see her. She's top 10 now in the world. I see her lifestyle. I'm like, it's, it's not bad. Top 10 in the world is not a bad lifestyle in doubles. I'll tell you that. Yeah. And I mean, that's the thing. Doubles is, this is, like almost zero money in challenge yeah. doubles. So you right. sort of, if you're going to do it, you got to do it quickly. Yes. Get out of challenges as fast as you can. Yes. And work and work your way up, start playing the bigger events and just back yourself with that. And I know I have the level. Yes. It's just a matter of doing it, staying patient and improving and, and getting up there as quick as I can. Um, tell, tell me about that experience at Wimbledon um, this year, uh, being, being with her and getting to kind of see that, that title. Yeah, I mean, that was... That three weeks there felt <laughs> like five weeks. I mean, I lost first round of qualifying singles. Yeah, right. So I lost on the what, Monday or Tuesday, whatever it was. First match on as well. So just just <laughs> like literally the one of the first out of the draw. Um, and yeah, and then just stayed around um, for her doubles and mixed doubles. So Des didn't have her coach there, her normal coach there with her. Um, and she was playing doubles with Danielle Collins, who... Also didn't have a coach there for the doubles week. Um, so I was found myself getting on court with Des a lot, yeah. um, working on some stuff, got on with Danielle a couple of times. Um, and they were long days. Like they were, I mean, it was, it was fun, but, you know, watching, because watch, I had my own practice to do, right. my own gym. Right. And then their warm-ups, watching their matches, I found myself at the courts morning till late at night. Yeah. And, I mean, 
Yeah, it, it was fun. I mean, it was awesome that I was able to see her win um, the mixed doubles title, like playing on center court at Wimbledon. It was yeah. awesome. It's, I mean, just sitting in the box there, I was like, how good is this? You yeah. Know, like, you know, it's the first time I'd actually seen center court at Wimbledon. Um, and yeah, she won another, you know, that's her fourth mixed doubles title with um, second in a row with Neil. Yeah. Um, Neil Skupski. And then also made the semis of the ladies' doubles. Um, that was also on center court, and they had a tight three-setter. I thought they were, I thought they were gonna, gonna get to the final there, the way it was going. But yeah, it was a great tournament for her, and uh, yeah, but it was also good for me because I, I watched a lot of the men's, uh, like yeah. for instance, in the mix. I was watching Neil a lot and yeah. watching how he, sort of what he did. With the, you know, he's top five in the world in doubles. Yeah. So I was still watching and learning, even when I'm just watching, um, and. Yeah, even some watching some other matches, it's like I know, I know I have the level. Yeah. Like I wasn't some of the matches, some of the players there in the dubs, I wasn't super impressed with. Yeah. So it's just you just gotta back yourself and and, and get the results. And I, knowing you, the the little that I do, I know that that's confidence and not cockiness and arrogance. No, I don't mean that in a yeah. arrogant way at all. I mean it's just it's just these guys have been playing doubles a lot longer and they've got their rankings up, so. Now I just got to put my head down, win as many of these challenges as I can, um, and then yeah, start trying to play the big events. All right, so I've got I've taken up a lot of your time. I'm going to take two two more roads. Yeah, um, of I, I'll start with with this. I don't I don't know you personally. Um, you you seem to me in my limited interaction with you to be both quite thoughtful and also rather opinionated. Um, I don't know if I, I like that. I, th I think that's I think that's an <laughs> okay thing. Um, when you get past this career, what, whenever that may be, how, how do you take those particular skills? Um, and can can you go commentator route? Is that I I, um, I, I ask that because I again limited interactions, but I I know you have the capacity to really speak your mind and do it in a in a, in a thoughtful way. Yeah, I mean, I think I can articulate pretty well. Um, it's just I haven't really thought about it a whole lot. I mean, I'm sure it would be a lot of fun. But in, in Australia, I feel like to do some of those commentary jobs with the, the good jobs, mm. it's sort of like you need to have a, need to have been very, pretty ranked, ranked pretty highly okay. uh, in either singles or doubles to sort of, they're, yeah, they're not going to just channel nine for their yeah, major, yeah, yeah. major um, broadcaster. I mean, Sam Gross not going to... <laughs> if Sam didn't have a yeah. serve, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's, you know, he's he's made he's made a pretty good living off that serve. I hope he doesn't listen to this. <laughs> nah, nah, he does actually. Sam actually does a great job at commentary. He, he, he's he been, really he's been is very good. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's I guess nothing's out of the equation. Yeah, you know, post tennis career, but we'll see. I mean, I've got business degree that maybe I use that post tennis. Yes. Um, obviously, you've all, you're always going to have your tennis skills if yeah. you want to apply in right. the tennis world post tennis, but. I've done it my whole life and I, you know, I'm hoping to play for at least like another, you know, six to 10 years. Yeah, so yeah. you just, maybe you want to see what else is out there, you know, away from tennis. What do you, what do you do in your spare time? Because now, especially now that you're going to go double special potentially, I mean, that's, that's a lot of, yeah, a lot of downtime. That, like, I don't know if I'm like, I don't know if I'm like accepting yet of mm. being called a double specialist right now yeah like, I, I just, get that it hasn't it, that hasn't sunk in for me See, yet that's the you know? thing. it's like it's, it oh. has a negative connotation yeah, that, it, and that's it the just thing. it does it's sort of like a it's almost like a disrespectful thing to yes. say uh, to, to, a, to a single yes to a singles player um 
which is I don't know why. I mean, it's 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 funny how I even interpret it like that. Well, which it, I don't I, mean any disrespect to doubles, but we in the media have made it like if it, it it is ingrained in the media. If you're a double specialist, it means you're not good enough on that side. That's that, what it's uh, always meant. That's yeah. That's sort of yeah the census and mm-hmm. and that's why maybe because I'm like. Maybe because my ego, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm only doing it because I'm injured, not because I don't have the level. I don't, I don't know what it is. But I, I hear people say that. I'm just like, oh, I mean, I guess. Like, I'm trying to get my dubs ranking up, and that's yeah. sort of becoming a priority. So I, I, I guess that's right. But sort of accepting that is, yeah. is sort of it's tough. Yeah. I don't know. You still come to terms with All it. All right. So then what do you do with your spare time? You're home for a little bit. Ooh. Those injury um, times when you've had yeah, some I mean, space. I'll definitely catch up with friends each weekend. During yeah. the week, it's hard because I have my training, whatever, they're working. But on the weekends, I'll go around watch Aussie Rules football. Yeah. Um, Who's your team? Essendon. Okay. Yeah, doing horrendous. Okay. Um, but then Coast also... <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. The one time I went, I went, I saw Gold Coast. So I was right there Jeez. with them. They're terrible, the I know. New team. No, no, no supporter base either. Um, but... I mean, I've also got a big passion for the, the stock market. Mm. Since since COVID and everything, I've yeah. just been like addicted to the stock market. Okay. And I do, I don't trade as much as what I used to. Okay. I'm in like a, all just like penny stocks. Okay. So like very volatile, high risk, high reward sort of stocks that keeps me on my toes. So like, you're, you're that, you're not, are you also crypto NFT that I, route? Not NFT. I can't wrap my head around NFT. I can't either. But crypto, yes. Okay. And it's been, been, it's, been a, it's been a tough ride. It's yeah, it's that's why you know I've got to got to watch my expenses these days because the the market's been a bloodbath for the last six months. Yes, it has. Okay, so give us your your analysis of of when it will rebound. Oh, I don't think yeah, it's tough because I I, listen, don't, I, I don't need think, to look for. Think, I'm like sixty three years old. I, mean, I need I'm, to think about I'm it. I'm a here. big rookie, but I wouldn't think anytime soon. Okay, like, I think there'll be bounces yeah. in the market, but. I think it could be pretty stagnant for at least another year. And so now I'm just sort of, I don't check it as much because I'm like, I've, yeah. I've got to wait it out. I've just got to be patient. and You really have to pick the just, good penny, sco- penny yeah, stocks. Yeah, well, when, I mean, you're, when you're holding, you know, some that are seriously in the red, like you just got to, you just got to cop it and just wait it out, you know? Tough. For them to recover, but they, they may never recover, but that's the game you play, you know? Okay, give me, give me one. Give, give me one, one penny stock. So that I, I'm gonna on Monday, Monday. Like one I'm gonna, to, get, to get in, or just, yeah. just I'm gonna to I'm gonna take a hundred dollars on Monday, based on whatever recommendation you mm-hmm. give me right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. C C F one. C F one. That's the code. One. Three. C F one. It's on the Australian market, not the okay. US market. Um. Yeah. Matt Matt Ebden. He's he's not bad. He he, he sort of hands out a few tips here and there. And okay. Usually C F one. Pretty good. Okay. Usually pretty good. You can get it lower than what I got it for. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've, you're taking a, a little bit of a bath on that one, uh, huh? No, not, not too bad. Okay. That's actually held up really well during the, the sell-off. So okay. I think, and I just talked to him actually yesterday, and he still thinks it's very undervalued. So Okay, CF1. CF1. If anyone's listening to it, just, okay. just load up on it so I can get into some green with it, you know? Last question. Uh, your doubles partner over there, Enzo. Um going to win a title tomorrow is is the the thought process um taking on ruben gonzalez and reese stalder uh and then head to nashville for the evening uh what do an australian and a frenchman do in in a night uh, it would be a saturday night in nashville 
You want to uh, handle this one, big fella? Well, I mean, <laughs> Nashville for one, I've never never been there in my okay. life. Uh, two, my cousin actually lives there. Okay. Um, so my uncle lives in Atlanta, so he's been coming down to watch our Great. matches. Okay. And my cousin Alex, who I haven't seen for oh, at least five years probably, she lives there. Okay. So when we're looking at, we're going to drive to Indianapolis, it's about a seven-hour drive, seven-and-a-half-hour yeah, right. drive. We're like, we want to get out after the finals, but we don't want to do the full seven hours. So yes. we thought, what's halfway? And we actually drive straight through Nashville. Right. So I'm like, ah, oh, it makes sense. I'll be able to catch up with my cousin. Hopefully we're, we're driving there with the title under our belt, mm-hmm. um, which would make the drive a lot easier. You think and we're going to have fancy trophies here? Oh, we're in. Like, we're a, in. A, like a peach trophy? We're in, we're in Rome, Georgia. So pro, I would I, think not. Uh, like you could have a peach. I mean, I that's mean, the state yeah, exactly. fruit. I mean, you just never know. I mean, I've had some diabolical trophies before. Yeah, I've I've seen so some I, bad I don't, ones. I don't know, but I mean, it'll, it'll make the trip a lot a lot more enjoyable if we if we take this title tomorrow. Yeah, he's he's going to be dangerous in Nashville. Yeah, I mean, I'm a little we we, we both we both have we both have girlfriends, so okay. we're obviously so both, he's we're both very well behaved. I'm not concerned um, about you. I, you're you're the nah, professional. Enzo's here Enzo's well behaved. He's <laughs> He's got good morals, <laughs> that, that young man. I mean, I'm sure the ladies will be forming a line for him, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah. no. You'll, he's, you'll hit some honky-tonks, though, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I've you heard of, I've never been to a honky-tonk, but like may, maybe I'll have to... The strip to, down there, you just go hit like honky-tonk to honky-tonk. They'll be packed on a Saturday night. Tons of bachelor and bachelorette parties. Mostly bachelorette parties. It's an experience, man. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. We're, we're going to be very well behaved, of course. Okay, of you know? course, sure. Maybe one drink, maybe one celebratory drink. Maybe okay. just one. Well, then have two for me. All right, we'll have two for you. <laughs> Three if we win the final. <laughs> Next thing you know, we're 10 deep, you know? <laughs> Who knows? That's, that's the place to do it. Andrew, uh, I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. No, thanks for having me. Thanks, Mike. The show might be over, but the conversation isn't. Join us on social media at noahrubin 33 at Mike C. Tennis and at Behind the Racket. Expect new episodes every Monday or Tuesday. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us expand and reach more listeners as we take you Behind the Racket.